It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I have Jonathan Handel on the line. He's an entertainment technology attorney at Troy Gould and also a frequent contributing editor at The Hollywood Reporter. And Jonathan and I have spoken over the years about many issues involving unions and trade and things happening. Remember when there was a lot going on in uh, in New Zealand. And so we, we uh, Jonathan, you're always the go-to smart guy when I need to know legal implications of anything that's current that's happening in the industry. And recently, uh, there's a lot of hullabaloo about this new AB5. So can you explain to our listeners what that is? Sure. And it's a pleasure to be back with you. Yeah. AB5 changes the legal analysis, the legal criteria in California uh, for whether someone is is considered an independent contractor or an employee when they're doing work for someone else. Uh, It's called AB5 because it was Assembly Bill 5, the the state assembly, the state representatives, and it it passed and was signed by the governor uh, several, uh, uh, last month or several months ago, I guess, uh, went into effect January 1st of this year and is now part of the the laws of the state of California, the labor code. Perhaps the first thing to explain is, you know, why do we why do why do we care? What is what's the difference between for a worker and for an employer? The difference between someone being an employee versus being an independent contractor. That would be awesome. Let's explain that. <laughs> Great. Okay. And it it turns out that there are some pros and some cons on either either side. On the one hand, employees are entitled to a variety of protections. Protections. Uh, uh, regarding minimum wage, so, so-called wage and hour laws, uh, you know uh, the the number of hours they can work uh, if they're if they're not if they're not highly paid, the number of hours they can work before being given a break for uh, for a rest break and a break for lunch and things of that sort. You know when people talk about being paid overtime, uh, that's a protection from in the wage and hour laws. Workers' compensation and unemployment insurance when they if they lose their job. Discrimination laws in many cases only apply uh, if someone's an employee, not if they're an independent contractor. And um, social security payments when you're an employee, uh, they they deduct money for social security from your paycheck, but the employer also has to pay a share, an additional share. Um, toward social security. Um, so those are advantages of being an employee. Now, advantages of being an independent contractor uh, are, first of all, that you're not tied to a single employer, whereas often an employee uh, only has one you know, one job, although that's not necessarily the case. And a uh, key thing is that um, if you make use of your you know, if you're uh, of a home office, uh, make use of your car, certain other expenses, these things are deductible for independent contractors and are not deductible for employees. In fact, because of the Trump tax reforms, even something like a, a large expense like a, a commission to an agent, you know, 10% of your wages going to an agent are not deductible for employees, but are deductible if someone is an independent contractor. Hmm. So I guess I think maybe the next thing to think about is, you know, who falls into what kind of a 
what kind of a bucket? And, you know, is this something can you can simply say, well, I'm an independent contractor or I'm an employee? The, the law, even before AB5, uh, assumed that if you were treated as an employee, if you were being paid uh, wages, that you got a W-2 form at the end of the year for your, for your tax return, that you were an employee. Again, that comes with these various advantages, and you know the the I should mention the other thing about independent contractors is the independent contractor has to pay both halves of Social Security. They pay twice, twice what an employee does mm-hmm. towards Social Security because they're paying the employer side as well. If someone under the law, if someone is just being 1099, they're receiving a 1099 form at the end of the year, not being treated as an employee. That's not necessarily definitive. Now. Under the law, prior to AB5, there were multi-factor tests that uh, – and, and the one used in California is called the Borello test, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. named after, a, named after a, a court case, that looked at things like how much control does the employer does – the, does the company have over the worker? Uh, the more control they have, the more it looks like an employment relationship – um, who provides the uh, the tools, whether it's you know a hammer and saw or whether it's a PC? Who provides those? You know, who decides what your working hours are? So you know, an employee in the sort of most obvious, typical case, someone who has to show up at nine o'clock in the morning and sits at a desk uh, or a workstation or a workplace and does work and then leaves at five or six. Um, and you know, does the, does work for the for the company? That that's what an employee tip looks like, and specifically under the direction of the people monitoring the work, right? So if they say, right. "Go under, here, go there," go here, go there, do mm-hmm. this, do that. Mm-hmm. Now that varies by profession. I mean, if someone is a, you know, for example, is a, um, you know, a lawyer or a doctor, let's say, and you know, a, skill, a, a skilled profession or even a, you know, computer programmer, you know, someone who's with some seniority, uh, they make a, those those people, even though they're they can be employees, do make a lot of decisions themselves. I mean, you know, a, a junior computer programmer may get a lot of direction from a from a manager saying, OK, here's how I want you to implement this algorithm. Here's what we need to do, you know, go off and do it. Whereas a more senior computer programmer would be expected to make some of those decisions themselves. And likewise with a lawyer or a doctor, you know, um, you know, those are people exercising independent sort of judgment, but they still, uh, if they're, if they're showing up at, you know, at the office or the workplace at, you know, nine o'clock and, and being told basically, you know, in an outline at least what to do and, uh, stay till, you know, the end of the day. And that's the only person that they're providing, you know, services to, because that's another factor. You know, an independent contractor is 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 someone who's in business for themselves and is providing services to other to mm-hmm. other clients. Mm-hmm. You have clients, not employers. Right. So that's the that's the the gestalt, the sort of basic feel of what's the difference. Now, why isn't that enough? Why does the law uh, get more specific than that? And why has it changed? A lot of this is being driven by Lyft and Uber mm-hmm. and the challenges that these kinds of business models present to um, to this really binary or, or bipolar system. You're either in one bucket or the other. You know, 
a, a Lyft driver, an Uber driver, are they, you know, the, the companies contend that those workers are independent contractors, but they feel a lot like they're providing, you know, basic integral services to a company. They're showing up. Now, granted, they can choose when to turn on the app or not, but, you know, are they are they the one or the other? And um, is it is it fair as a society that they get with you know that people who are very dependent on a platform uh, nonetheless don't have some of the benefits and protections of you know overtime law and things of that sort? Mm-hmm. There actually are some countries. Uh, Canada, for example, has a category called dependent contractor that kind of splits the difference. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. How yeah, is that no, different? Well, I don't know in, in, in detail, but it's basically it's it is somebody it's an independent contractor type who is very dependent on a single employer or single client or two. Uh, they have some of the protections that employees do. Hmm. Another example, I, I should mention that under the under federal labor law, employees can unionize. Independent contractors cannot. Mm-hmm. Now, we play some sort of fast and loose type games with that in the entertainment industry in that <laughs> some of the people that we do recognize as unionized employees, they are paid as employee they are unionized workers. They are paid as employees, but though but they sure look like independent contractors. So for example, a screenwriter, a movie I'm talking specifically a movie writer, not a mm-hmm. TV writer, they might you know, your your agent pitches you to Universal or, you know, to, to Warner's, let's say, and yay, you get to write the next Superman movie. Well, do you show up at Warner Brothers every day at, you know, nine o'clock and take detailed direction? No. And in fact, they don't even provide the PC. You, you work at home. You know, you agree that the story is going to be, you know, uh, one about, you know, Lex Luthor uh, coming to some prominence or being, <laughs> you know, this, that or the other thing and the broad outlines. And then you do. A, you, it feels a lot like an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. In fact, somebody writing on spec is not even an independent contractor. If they write a, a spec script where they, there's no buyer known at that point. And then, then the agent goes out and tries to sell it. They're just a vendor peddling goods. It's like somebody pushing a cart down the road, trying to, uh, you know, trying to sell uh, pretzels mm-hmm. in in the street. You don't you don't even have a buyer until someone walks up to you and says, "Yeah, I'll take that." So, and nonetheless, those folks, someone writing a spec script or someone writing a script on assignment, uh, the Superman example, they'll get a W two at the end of the year. They'll, they're they're treated as employees, and their work is recognized by the studios as union work and it's under the jurisdiction of the writer's guild. Compare that writer with a writer on television, especially specifically, let's say comedy, a half hour. Those folks go into work every day. They go to the writer's room and mm-hmm. they sit with other writers and they yak about stories and then they go and they might write at home or they might write in an office more likely, I think they write in an office at at the studio. You know, I've I've been assigned to write episode five. You've been assigned to write episode six, whatever it is. But after we've had our conversation, and and they sit there, and and television writers actually do look a lot more like a traditional employee. Film writers, not so much, but both of them are paid as employees and are uh, uh, treated as union, you know, 
as as unionizable and in fact union workers. Hmm. You know, this is all kind of new. Have you thought about loan outs and how they're going to work under this new ruling? Yes, I have. A lot of people in our industry use loan outs and so the companies hire the loan out which then turns around and hires the what would normally be an employee. Right. Well, it it turns out that there's there's under the AB5 uh framework that there's some question as to whether loan outs will continue to be uh, recognized. The the industry is continuing to recognize loan outs at, at present, but the tax authorities may decide to challenge that. Mm. Um, and so this is probably a good point to uh, uh, to get a little more specific on on what AB5 actually uh, actually does and what the Borello test was, and to the to the extent that it still um, that it still applies under certain circumstances, and the uh, the new test, which is called the uh, the ABC test, and was promulgated by the state supreme court in a um, in a case called Dynamex, uh, Dynamex, in uh, in 2018. So AB5 enshrines the Dynamex uh, test, the ABC, the ABC test, uh, into state law. Can you tell us what the difference is between the two? The difference is that the, the ABC test has three criteria, and they all have to be met in order for somebody to be considered an independent contractor. So it's a very strict test. It, 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 it narrows the circumstances under which someone is an independent contractor. Whereas the Borello test had uh, 11 or so factors, 10 or 11 factors, and none of them, uh, in fact, under some uh, criteria or some listings, there actually are 14 factors, and, and none of them are actually definitive. Um, they all are weighed one against the other, and a you know potentially a court would have to decide well which of these factors in this given case is is considered more more weighty more heavy. So one of the things that businesses are concerned about when it comes to the law in general, when it comes to regulations, is they on the one hand they want laws that are favorable to themselves, but on the other hand. They want laws that are uh, that have more certitude and precision in them, and that they where they can predict the outcome without having to potentially face a court case. Those two principles can sometimes be at, at odds and at tension with each other. So, with that said, um, let's look at the ABC test, and then the Borello test. And then talk about the the circumstances under which each one applies, because it turns out that AB5 does not always apply the ABC test. There are a lot of exceptions, a lot of carve outs, mm-hmm. uh, as we call them, to the ABC test uh, under under the new law. And that makes things even more complicated, I'm afraid. So the ABC test, a worker is considered an employee and not an independent contractor unless all three of the following conditions apply. Mm-hmm. A, the worker has to be free from control and direction of the hiring entity, the company, um, in connection with performance of the work. Hmm. And that freedom has to be true both under the contract for performance of the work and it actually has to be true in fact, in the way that 
in the way the real world is happening. So just because you say in the contract, you know, that the worker uh, exercises independent control, mm -hmm. if in fact the reality is that people don't follow that contract and the, the company is instructing the worker, then you haven't met prong A. And if you fail to meet prong any of these prongs, then the worker is an employee. Okay, that's A. B, the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. Now, what does that mean? It means, for example, that if a let's 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 take a um, a small computer uh, software developing company, software development company, hmm. if they if they, the, the, their usual business is developing software, right? By definition, if they hire, if they, or rather engage somebody as an independent contractor to write software, well, that's not outside the usual course of their business. That is their business. So that person, even though they're, even though the contract is saying that person mm -hmm. is an independent contractor, the law is not going to respect that. The law says, nope, that's an employee, just like you're you know, just like your other employees, that's your, that's the business. But does that mean that everybody that performs services for the software company is an employee, has to be treated as an employee? No, that's, that software company presumably has a restroom and a kitchen, you know, a break room where people can have food. When the, um, when the kitchen sink stops working or when the restroom stops working, and they bring in a plumber to fix those. Well, plumbing is not the normal business of a software company. That plumber is going to be – is providing services for the company. He or she is fixing the plumbing, but he's an independent, he or she is an independent contractor. Hmm. Now, on the other hand, if you have a plumbing services company <laughs> and you want right. plumbers you know, to go out and work for clients – that plumber, you know, that's that, that plumber's employee. So that's B. And then C, the third prong of the ABC test, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work that they're performing for the, mm -hmm. um, for the company that's doing the hiring. So someone who is customarily a plumber and comes and does plumbing, you know, for your software company, assuming that they are customarily a plumber, they've got other clients, um, they hold themselves out as a plumber uh, for a plumber for hire. It's probably a good name for a series, Plumber for Hire. <laughs> uh, you know, that, <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, Plumber for Hire. Plumber for Hire. I, I feel a pilot coming on. <laughs> uh, you know, that person uh, meets that prong. So, right. and again, the plumber now, is the plumber free from the control or direction of the hiring entity? I mean, yeah, the, the hiring entity just says, the software company says, please come fix our sink. They don't say, now, you know, you, you get into definitional things here. I mean, even with the plumber, right? You know, they may say, um, Let's suppose the sink is working fine. They want to add a hot, one of those hot water taps to it or something, one of those extra, you know, instant on hot water thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to say they might say, you know, I want one that that makes water that's hot enough for for coffee as well as tea, and I want it to have a uh, a safety valve so that you know on bring your kid to work day that no one gets burned. And I want it on the left side of the sink, not the right side. 
And I want to be able to turn it on and off with my cell phone. <laughs> with my cell phone, let's say, right. Or, you know, a foot pedal. So now you're, you know, is that, are they free from the control and direction? I mean, uh, I think that the law would still consider that when a software company brings in a plumber to install, you know, do some installation like that, you know, that they, that they are, that it is the Pirello test. And we'll have to also look and see if plumbers are specifically listed as being an exception to the ABC test that might, that might make the example more complex, but you can, you can see that, you know, the degree of control and direction that the hiring entity provides, you know, often depends on the kind of worker, you know, and work that's being performed. It's just, you know, the more skilled the work and the more that it's a sort of a black box to the, to the hiring entity, the less control control and direction you would expect. But there are nonetheless, you know, people don't, you know, you don't, if you want someone to paint your house, you don't just call up a house painter and say, paint my house. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're going to get a pretty random result if you do. You're going to, you know, I, I, I'd specify the color. I'd specify, you know, I, I'd want to have a conversation about how weatherproof the paint is going to be. And, um, of course. It's oh, like going to the store. You want certain things, right? You hire a vendor. You want to be able to tell them what you want. You right. know, um, I the I don't know if this is the correct term for the way this is work, working now, but doesn't the burden of proof now lie on the employer? So the employer uh, now has to make sure that they have all the documentation in place proving that the person they're hiring is an independent contractor, which, you know, we were doing to a certain extent before anyway. There's that. And there's also that in the film and television business, there's a lot of what I perceive as abuse in terms of people like interns or people like part-time employees that are not really being paid as employees or just being paid an hourly flat wage and they don't have independent, you know, they're not independent contractors. So did some of that also weigh into the the uh, Supreme Court's decision with Dynamex or is that, comp well, no, I'm, I'm yeah, answering no, my own question while no, I'm answering you're, no, it. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the, this issue of misclassification, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know that misclassification specifically in the entertainment industry weighed directly on the decision, but this issue of misclassification of people as of workers as independent contractors is very much what's driving all this, mm -hmm. uh, drove the Dynamex decision and uh, the legislature's interest in enacting Dynamex into, you know, into established statutory law, putting it, you know, locking it in place as it were. In answer to your question, uh, yes, in fact, it is the employer's burden of proof now. Uh, the, the one thing the Dynamics decision was quite clear on is that the hiring entity, meaning the, the company, uh, must establish that the worker is free of control and the worker performs work outside the usual course of business. And even the hiring entity must establish that the worker is customarily and currently engaged in an independent business mm -hmm. or trade or occupation. Mm-hmm. And it's just simply labeling them as independent contractor is not sufficient. Um, and it's not even sufficient to say that the worker could at some time in the future go into business independently. You've got the employer has the, the company, I should say, the hiring entity 
has to establish that the worker actually has an independent business operation mm-hmm. at the current time. Or the pendulum can swing in either direction, too, because if you hire an independent contractor and after a while you take up so much of their time that they then become exclusive only to you, at that point it would seem to me that the state would want to take a look at that and say, well, is this person now an employee if they're if they don't have other clients? Well, that's that's right. If you if you I mean, the the, the phrase is engage, actually, if you engage an independent contractor, they mm-hmm. have other employees, they have excuse me, they have other clients, but also they have to be performing work that's outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business right, right. Uh, for that to be respected. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they, if you do take up enough of their time, the pendulum could swing. Now, let's, let's look next at the Borello test okay, and then go through sort of a, a flow chart, as it were, of, of which test applies and, okay. and under what circumstances. Cool. So the Borello test, um, which dates to 1989 and, and another California Supreme Court case, relies on multiple factors and a key factor is whether the company has all the necessary control over the manner and means of accomplishing the desired result, of, you know, doing the work. The control need not be direct or actually exercised or, or, or completely detailed. So there's, that's all, that, that's very fuzzy to begin with. But then there are, believe it or not, 13 other factors um, <laughs> let's go through them. Could we and make each, it a little more complicated? Okay. Well, exactly. And <laughs> the court, a court has to consider all of these, mul- this, these, these factors, this multi-factor test and no single factor controls the determination. So in different cases, uh, uh, courts have emphasized, uh, different factors in the, in the test, depending on the circumstances. So what are those factors? Number one, whether the worker performed performing services holds themselves out as being engaged in an occupation or business distinct from that of the employer. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, whether the work is a regular or integral part of the employer's business. So those mm-hmm. two will sound a little familiar from, from mm-hmm. uh, the ABC from test. ABC. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, whether the, who is it, the, the, the company or the worker that supplies the tools, the instrumentalities and the place for the worker doing the work. Mm-hmm. Number four, has the worker invested in the business, such as buying equipment or materials required for the task? Number five, whether the service requires a special skill. Not even clear how that would cut one way or the other, but there you have it. Number Hmm. six, the kind of occupation and whether the work is usually done under the direction uh, of an employer or by a specialist without supervision. Number seven, the worker's opportunity for profit or loss depending upon their managerial skill. An independent contractor is, so an independent contractor is someone who was, uh, you know, under this test is potentially subject to losing money or making money, depending on, you know, they've, they set too low a price for the job, for example. Mm-hmm. An employee just makes money. Uh, you know, they go to work. Number eight, the length of time for which the services are to be performed. So that sort of gets to your example there. I mean, if you if you were performing services for a long time for a single, uh, you know, for a single employer. 
the degree of permanence of the working relationship, that's number nine, sort of fits with, with number eight. Not even clear how distinct those two are, but there you have it. Boy, Jonathan, there are so many gray areas here. My, I mean, my, I'm getting red flags all over the place with this, but go ahead. I'm, this okay. is fascinating. Number Keep 10, going. We're, almost, we're almost there. Uh, number 10, the method of payment. Is it by time or by the job? Mm-hmm. Number 11, does the worker hire their own employees? Uh, so if the worker is, you know, if a plumber comes in and brings, you know, brings an assistant, they hire an assistant. I mean, that doesn't look like an employee. That plumber doesn't look like an employee if they're hiring their own employees. Mm-hmm. Number 12, whether the company has the right to fire at will or whether a termination gives rise to an action for breach of contract. So, you know, an independent mm-hmm. contractor may have, you know, there may be a breach of, but uh, independent contractors often have contracts that allow you to, to terminate the contract at will. So, you know, there's the gray area there. And, and flip side, some employees, particularly, ex, you know, uh, top executives, uh, can't be fired at will. They have contracts, they have employment contracts that give them, you know, a three-year term, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. Typical in the movie industry, in the film right. and television industry. And finally, number 13, whether or not the worker and the company believe they're creating an employer-employee relationship. This may be, and this, this may be relevant is the guidance that we get from the state, but the, but it's not the it's not dispositive. It's not determinative. In in practice, it, it's sort of a one way ratchet. If they be, if if a worker and a company do believe that they that it's an employment relationship, then the courts will often treat it as such. But if they believe that it's an independent contractor relationship, the courts may or may not respect that judgment. Hmm. So there's a bias in the law. Even under Borello, there was a bias. Hmm towards, you know, employee status. Right. Now, how does this work in a, you know, in a flow chart? Because the, the, the issue here is not just, you know, that we've got these two tests. Well, which one, which one applies? And it turns out that the answer is it depends. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness, isn't that typical? <laughs> it, it it really it really is. It really is. And I don't know why I find that just hilarious. <laughs> I know. Everybody is so afraid of of this ruling AB5. Um you know, everyone is really nervous about it. I, and I work in the film and television industry obviously. And I host a radio show and I also do consulting for tech companies and tech evangelism. So, you know, professional consultants get paid. There, I have some clients who pay me by the hour right. to consult for them uh, because I have knowledge in certain areas that can help them further the profits of their company. So where does that put me on this sort of gray scale? I'm not an employee because I do have other clients. So that protects me. Well, that, it also that's protects only one them, of the factors. right? That's only one. Yeah, that's only one. Exactly. So let's, let's um, you know, I mean, you, you have to be free from control and direction. Mm-hmm. You have to be performing work outside the usual course of their business. Mm-hmm. And, and you are, as you said, engaged in an independently established trade. Right. So, but here's how, here's how it works as a flowchart. You have to first ask, are you, are, is this worker part of an exempted profession? Because there are, there are a number, there are a, lot, a bunch of occupations and professions that are exempt from the ABC test. And in fact, instead you apply the Borello test. Mm-hmm. Now it turns out that some of these occupations, it's, it's pretty much enough to be, um, 
part of that occupation and others have additional criteria (laughs) that you have to meet. So let's go through some of those. Okay. That's really helpful. I appreciate you doing this because it's, it's very confusing. Well, it is, it is. So the, the, the first exception is someone who's licensed by uh, the Department of Insurance under, under one of several different sections that I uh, honestly have not looked up. Um, I don't know if these are insurance brokers or what exactly, but something, something in the insurance business and you're licensed, you know, you're licensed person in the insurance business. Second, uh, physicians, surgeons, dentists, podiatrists, uh, psychologists, and veterinarians, let's not forget the animals, <laughs> licensed by the uh, state of California, uh, performing professional or medical services provided to or by a healthcare entity, including an entity that organizes a sole proprietorship, partnership, or professional corporation. But this doesn't apply to the employment settings currently or potentially governed by collective bargaining agreements. Potentially. That's a scary word. Well, that is. So a doctor, so, I mean, (laughs) if you have a bunch of doctors who work at a hospital, you know, seemingly as employees, they are providing medical services for a healthcare entity, but they could become unionized even if they're not now. So, so one hand giveth, the other hand taketh. Let's move on. Uh, We probably don't have a lot of doctors listening to our, to our podcast. (laughs) You never Um, know. (laughs) But you never know. Um, next, a licensed lawyer, architect, engineer, private investigator, or accountant. No further conditions there. So a licensed lawyer, among others, can be an independent contractor. Uh, or, well, I should say, what this means is that you use the Borello test rather than the ABC test for those professions. So again, this isn't saying that these professions are automatically independent contractors. It's saying that they are judged under the looser and vaguer Borello test rather than the ABC test. Next, securities broker, dealer, or investment advisor, or their agents or, rep- or representatives that are registered with the SEC or FINRA or licensed by the state of California. Next, a direct sales salesperson as defined under the unemployment insurance code, a commercial fisherman, Working on an American vessel. American vessel is defined. Commercial fisherman is defined. You have to have a, have a valid, unrevoked commercial fishing license. Don't lose your license or you're in a different situation. Uh, there are some, some more la-di-da about fishermen here, some more detail. Now we move on to a bunch of contract situations where there's a contract for professional services. But here we have to talk not only about specific professions, but also there are some conditions. The conditions are six separate conditions. The individual maintains a business location, which could be a residence, that's separate from the the hiring entity. But nothing in the subdivision prohibits the individual from choosing to perform services at the location of the hiring entity. The individual needs a business license, although there's a six-month grace period for that. Um, So that that doesn't take effect until uh, July 1st, I guess. The individual needs a business license in addition to any required professional licenses or permits. They have the ability to set their own rates for the services provided or to negotiate them at least. Mm -hmm. Outside of project completion dates and reasonable business hours, the individual can set their own hours. That's okay. I mean, reasonable Mm -hmm. business hours. So you have to work during reasonable business hours and you have to, what does it mean that you can set your own hours if if you have to, if you're subject to reasonable business hours? I mean, I don't know. The individual is customer is customarily engaged in the same type of work 
with another hiring entity or holds themselves out to potential customers is available. And finally, they customarily and regularly exercise discretion and independent judgment in the performance of the services. Now, an individual includes an individual providing services through a, uh, a sole proprietorship or other business entity, which appears to mean that, you know, incorporation is possible. Mm-hmm. Now, what kinds of professions are we talking about here? Professional services means the following. Uh, and now we have like uh, 11 possible, you know, 11 different carve outs for this. You know what's scary about this? And I'm not a lawyer, but what is scaring me about this is the more you try to be specific, the more you're going to create situations where people are going to argue for an exemption. Um, you know, it just, it's a, uh, it's a full anyway. employment act. It's a full employment <laughs> act for lawyers and, and also for lobbyists. I mean, that, that's, this would be, a, crazy. A, a, this would be a logical place to, to point out that the, trucking industry, which we'll get to, I think, in a, in a, in a minute or two, mm-hmm. that the trucking industry has filed suit uh, challenging the constitutionality of this law. And so two associations of independent journalists have filed suit because they're, mm-hmm. we're about to get to them. And um, the Uber and Lyft and I believe DoorDash, so Uber, Lyft, and at least one of the companies providing you know meal delivery, food del- restaurant delivery, are going to spend reportedly as much as $100 million trying to get a ballot initiative on the ballot this year to uh, to overturn AB5 or some portions of it, either overturn or amend it. So, yeah, this is – everyone is is very – you know, there, there's not a lot of simplicity to this, to what sounds like a simple ABC test. So what are the professional services that we're talking about here that, that, have, that have to meet these six conditions? Marketing provided that the contract contracted work is original and creative in character and the result of which depends primarily on the invention, imagination or talent of the, they say of the employee, they really mean of the worker mm-hmm. um, or work that is an essential part of, the, of or incident to any of the contracted work. We will, we'll, we'll let that set. Um, secondly, administration of HR of human resources provided that the contracted work is predominantly intellectual and varied in character and is of such character that the output produced or result accomplished cannot be standardized in relation to a given period of time. So this, I guess, HR people who are, who are intellectual and, <laughs> and varied in character. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, I don't want to make this uh, This up. whole thing is just ridiculous. Anyway, sorry, I uh, shouldn't have an opinion. This is... Fair well, reporting. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, anyway, keep going. <laughs> uh, travel agent services. I didn't know there were travel agents anymore, but there are a few actually still mm-hmm. in existence. There are. Uh, and I guess there were enough in existence to lobby for an exemption. Particularly in the cruise business. Uh, true. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, travel agent exemption, travel agent services provided by either of the following. A person regulated by the attorney general under article such and such of, of, of state law or an individual who is a seller of travel within the meaning of another section of state law and who is exempt from registration under a third section of state law. All right. Graphic design, grant writer, fine artist, services, we're we're on to number seven now, services Hmm. provided by an enrolled agent um, licensed by the U.S. Department of the Treasury uh, to practice before the IRS. Um, what is an enrolled agent? That's someone who's who's not a necessarily a lawyer, but who can represent you in dealing with the IRS. Uh, eight, 
uh, payment processing agent through an independent sales organization. All right, now we get to we get to a couple of we get to a couple more create uh, additional creative uh, services. Services provided by a still photographer or photojournalist who do who do not license content submissions to the particular hiring entity more than 35 times per year. Now, this clause is not applicable to an individual who works on motion pictures, which includes, but not limited to, projects provided, uh, produced for theatrical, television, internet streaming for any device, commercial productions, broadcast news, music video, and live shows, whether distributed live or recorded for later broadcast, regardless of the distribution platform. And the a submission is defined you know, whether they, whether the photos relate to a specific event or specific subject, yada, yada. Next, services provided by a freelance writer, editor, or newspaper cartoonist. I love newspaper cartoons. I uh, do, too. <laughs> who does not provide content submissions to the particular uh, company more than 35 times per year. Items of content produced on a recurring basis related to a general topic shall be considered separate submissions for purposes of, of calculating 35 times a year. And again, we have a definition of submission. Moving on, number 11, services provided by a licensed uh, esthetician, electrologist, manicurist, barber, or cosmetologist, all of whom have to be licensed, provided that they set their own rates, they set their own hours, has their own book of business, schedules their own appointments, yada, yada, yada. And hmm. now we have um, we have some more exceptions. A real estate licensee licensed by the state. And if that, uh, they're subject to, to Borello for certain circumstances and to other tests for other circumstances, but they're not subject to the ABC test or, or Dynamex. A repossession agency, the repo man, uh, got into the act. Independent contractor or employee status is governed by another section of law that already exists if they're free from the control and direction of the hiring entity. A bona fide business-to-business contracting relationship under an enormously detailed set of conditions. Um, now, this gets into the loan-out situation. Mm -hmm. You know, a loan-out... Uh, for those, you know, many of our listeners will know what a loan out is, but not all. Um, when somebody essentially self-incorporates, in other words, sets up a corporation where the only services the corporation provides are the services of that person who who owns the corporation, that is often what is called a loan out corporation. And in particular, when an actor, writer, director sets up a corporation of this sort – and rather than the movie studio or TV studio hiring the actor, writer, director as an directly as an employee, they engage in a business in a business to business contract with a loan out, which then has an employment relationship with their own owner, with the employee. That's a uh, a form of business that is used by it used to be only used by people who are relatively highly compensated. Uh, in the entertainment industry, but now, because of the fact that in, that employees can't deduct uh, uh, employee business expenses anymore, thanks to Trump, and this includes, you know, uh, commissions to to agents. If you haven't fired your agent, if you're a writer, <laughs> subject for another podcast. But mm -hmm. the commissions to agents, managers, and lawyers; those things are deductible as business expenses by a corporation. So 
uh, there's an advantage to having a loan out, even if you're only making, you know, 75 or 100 a year, rather than the the previous economic threshold was typically 150 or 200 or more before it made sense to get into the complexity of setting up a separate corporation. But here's the thing: it has to this. What this portion of the law says is that Dynamex doesn't apply to a bona fide business-to-business contracting relationship, as defined below under the following conditions. And I have to tell you that there are, you know, again, a dozen, you know, or more conditions here. You know, it really would be too much to go into, but again, right. they're very, they're, they're similar to a, to a Borello test and they include, you know, issues about control and setting your own hours. And, you know, if you're, if you're an actor, for example, on a movie, you don't set your own hours. And so, um, you know, it, it may not apply. There's just, you know, sort of moving on again, just to cover the landscape without getting into too much additional detail. There's another um, exception for, for contractors and subcontractors in the construction industry. But here again, there is a, an enormous, you know, set of, uh, set of conditions. There is an exception for construction trucking services. Then we go on to uh, referral agencies, like I, I guess, empl- I guess those are employment and referral employment agencies. We go on to, um, we, we have a definition of animal services. I, I guess there's, you know, it's, um, this has to do with pet sitting or something, um, you know, and tutoring motor clubs, like, I guess that's the AAA or something, you know, automobile club. Mm-hmm. Now we're finally sort of, uh, you know, we're we're sort of at the at the end of it, leaving aside people committed to state hospital facilities, which are <laughs> which come up here as well. And, oh know, my you're, God! You're likely to Seriously? become one if you try to understand this. <laughs> uh, my brain is frying. You know what's going through my mind right now? What about those wonderful companies that we use when we produce films or television? The payroll companies, a payroll service company. I mean, they exist to hire and fire and manage the payroll for the people who are working on these films that last for one month, six months, a year, whatever it is, TV series. Um, if I were running a payroll company right now, I'd be really confused. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, the certainly the, the relation between payroll company and the worker is, a, is usually an employment relationship. Mm-hmm. But the payroll company is paid by the production. That's right. So who is ultimately responsible? Uh, at the moment, it's the payroll company that is maintaining all the employees and the workers, and they they have a contractual relationship with the motion picture company, for example. So where does the buck stop here? I think there's that gets a- into a different issue. Uh, believe it or not, you know, to add complexity, and there are, there are there are actually two adjacent issues we should we should mention, and this is one of them. One of the adjacent issues is the question of joint employer status. Mm-hmm. In other words, as you as you were saying, who is the employer? Where does the buck stop? Um, is um, you know is the is the worker an employee of both the payroll company and the um, the the film production company? Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other set of that's a whole other kettle of of fish. Uh, caught by a commercial fisherman working on an American vessel, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh my and, gosh! <laughs> well, we know the fisherman's exempt, so that's okay. <laughs> that's right. Well, under, only under certain circumstances, um, <laughs> and um, you know. It, but of course, once the fish is cooked and somebody brings the fish to your table, that's a that's that's a different sort of worker. That's a waiter. 
remember that a lot of this is to turn a lot of these questions also arise under federal law as well as state law. So, for example, federal taxes. Um, and that was my next question. Is this state? Is this federal? Is the IRS going to now jump in? What forms do you have to fill out? This is very well, confusing. I, I asked a, a, um, a tax attorney about this, and his, opi his opinion was that as a matter of practicality, that if someone is treated as an employee under state law here, that they would probably, you know, probably need to be treated as an employee under under federal law. Uh, for for IRS for tax for federal tax purposes, but you know I'm I, it was a brief answer and I'm I'm not entirely sure that why that's necessarily the case. I mean, as a matter you know of sort of strict legal analysis, this is a California law AB five. It does not you know it does not change the definition of employee under federal law, which which by the way is. Uh, typically a 20-factor uh, test. We won't get into that. Uh, and is important not just for tax purposes, but for people in creative industries, uh, is important for uh, copyright law purposes. Mm -hmm. Because copyright, well, certain aspects of copyright law depend on whether the worker is an independent contractor or an employee. Joint employer status uh, can be determined both under federal and state law. And in fact, under federal law, for both for purposes of certain uh, federal federal occupational safety and health uh, uh, issues and also unionization issues, uh, the Trump administration is deregulating and has has proposed uh, rules changes that are actually uh, at issue right now that um, would make it. Uh, harder to claim that someone is a joint employer, as you can imagine. You know, the company companies want to not be considered joint employers. They want to they want to you know push off the employment obligations onto you know onto other people. This comes up in franchises as well, by the way. I mean, is is McDonald's a joint employer of the fast food worker who works at a franchise McDonald's location. A uh, lot of lobbying there on that. And the Obama administration had rules that, that made it easier to claim that there was a joint employment relationship. And uh, Trump is, as I say, is loosening those. The, the other adjacent area, sort of not to be confused with this already confusing area that we've been talking about, is the question of whether someone has to be a, you know, a paid worker at all or whether they are a volunteer. And this is another area that the entertainment industry has abused frequently mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the context of of volunteers or interns. Right. You know, unpaid internships. In general, unpaid internships are okay if they someone is receiving school credit for them and if the employer uh the company is really is is not displacing, is not having them do work that a, that a uh, that an employee would otherwise do, and is not really getting any financial or material benefit from the internship. Uh, so if you start if you hire you know if you take someone as an unpaid intern and they're doing you know actual valuable work that you otherwise would need to hire an employee to do, uh, that is probably you know, without having the, the details of the rules in front of me, that is probably not a legitimate unpaid internship. You know, these PAs that are, you know, PAs are very abused, um, uh, you know, who are, 
if they're unpaid, I mean, you know, you, it's your it's your leg up into the business, blah blah blah. That's that's just outright wage theft. And another example, you know, that I think you were alluding to as well, really is basic wage and hour law, which is you know you you get paid ten dollars an hour or fifteen dollars an hour or whatever to work a quote eight hour day, and you're working ten and twelve hour days, but not permitted to put that down on your timesheet. And everyone just winks and nods and you sign the timesheet that says you worked eight hours. That's unlawful. And it's prevalent. It's prevalent. It's a, it's an abuse that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. I see it all the time. I don't agree with it. I do see it all the time. And I, I do, I do agree that, um, well, I don't know if you were, you weren't interjecting an opinion, but you were saying that one of the criteria was that you wouldn't be taking work away from people who would otherwise be paid to do it. And that's very prevalent. A lot of people hire interns so they can save money on employment costs. Right. And, um, and they do, they abuse the employees. They're not training them. They're, they're putting them to work and they're not paying them and they're not getting any benefits and they're displacing other union or highly qualified employees. So it's been a prevalent problem for a long time in, in our industry. It has, or they're displacing other low-wage employees, and exactly. they're also they're also creating a race to the bottom because then it becomes harder for other companies mm-hmm. to compete mm-hmm. without engaging in the same business practices. Right, and people are having to reduce their wages in order to compete with that, which is what you were saying, I believe. So, yeah, it's um, this is very gray area, and um, I'm just wondering how on earth these how did Newsom and what was the person who sponsored this? What, what was her name? Um, Oh, I'm forgetting. Lorena, Lorena Gonzalez. uh, Gonzalez, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So Lorena Gonzalez sponsored it and governor Newsom signed it into law and didn't they have anything else better to work on? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm interjecting an opinion here, but. Well, I mean, uh, there, there is the, the, this was an attempt to deal with, you know, with true, you know, with what people consider to be true abuses. And, mm-hmm. but you can, you can see the difficulty here in the modern, you know, in the modern economy that mm-hmm. you, that's something that, you know, oh, it's how, the ABC test. Well, that sounds mm-hmm. simple enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just three, three prongs and there's your test. Well, no, actually what we end up with is a three prong test that has about 30 exemptions. Yeah, I was going to say put, 30 some exemptions. <laughs> Some of which have their own tests to decide whether the exemption applies. And if the exemption applies, then uh, you fall into a, uh, you know, 14 prong test, the Borello test. So it's a, you know, frightfully hard situation to regulate. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, you, you, You've got. I mean, I, I guess it's because it's because of technology and because of changes in the nature of the you know the 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 work relationship that there's so much more uh, much less adhesion between companies and workers than there was you know 50 years ago. Now, interestingly, in some ways, the entertainment industry was ahead of the curve because when the studio let's talk about the studio system for a minute the studio system which is the the way that movies were produced between roughly the mid to late 20s through the um late 40s uh when the studio system the so-called studio system essentially collapsed what did that look like that looked like traditional factory employment 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Each studio produced so many movies a year, like a hundred movies a year per studio. Remember, there was no television in this in this time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and television was one of the things that destroyed the studio system. People would go into work, including screenwriters. They'd go sit in, you know, there was a writer's building and, you know, actors, everyone was under, people were, not everyone, but most people, many people were under contract. So actors would be under contract to a particular studio and would work on one movie for that studio, then another movie, then another movie, another movie, blah, blah, blah. And it was very much a factory model, an industrial model of uh, producing filmed content. That, that is the era in which the unions arose. And that's why, you know, when I when I gave examples earlier where, you know, things feel more freelancy now with, say, with motion picture screenwriters, for example, it wasn't back then. They weren't freelancers. They were truly employees. And the unions arose in an era of, uh, you know, where 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 it fit the, the business model very directly. But what happened at the at, at the end of the, you know, in the mid to late 40s? In 1945 and 46, a third of the country went to the movies every week. It's an astonishing number because today, uh, average movie going is about uh, five or so movies per year per person, uh, Hmm. theatrically. Uh, Probably slightly fewer than five at this point. Uh, So what happened? You know, one thing was, and one thing that drove attendance, in in addition to the desire for entertainment uh, during wartime, among other things, was that there was a desire for news about the war as well. And people went to see newsreels and animation, cartoons, as well as the main feature or even a double feature. So it was the only only audiovisual entertainment uh, that people had, uh, basically. But then the, the war ends and commercial television is introduced. And... Suddenly you have movies, you know, you, you have audiovisual entertainment in a box in your living room. Meanwhile, the suburbanization of America meant that people were moving out to the suburbs away from the large movie palaces. And uh, this was obviously, you know, later countered by development of smaller theaters out in malls and stuff. But, you know, at, at that point, the movie theaters were downtown, many of them. Uh, there were legal changes as well that undermine the ability of movie studios to control uh, chains of theaters and to control and to keep workers under uh, hyper long-term contracts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a result, all this taken together, this system where people would be under contract and would come into work every day and we're producing a hundred movies a year per studio, all that changed, all that changed. Uh, And in fact, you know, we're seeing big change now with the pivot to streaming uh, I don't think we've seen uh, such a large change as what we're seeing today since the end of World War II when the studio system collapsed. So it was a very, it was a very large uh, and dramatic change. But by the time you look at the, you know, get to the 50s and 60s, you're talking about a lot of people who are working in what today we would call the gig economy. You work on a movie and then you don't. You know, then the movie's over and you don't have a job and you hopefully you find another job, another movie, you know, and that's true whether you're an actor, whether you're a director, whether you're a writer. The motion picture business in particular, distinguishing from the television business, you know, became a gig business before the word gig economy existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before other businesses like Taxi Driver became Uber Driver, which is a gig business. And before restaurant delivery person became 
independent DoorDash delivery person, <laughs> independent Seamless or Caviar or whatever delivery person. <laughs> um, you know, before the hotel business became in part independent owner of a spare bedroom in your house that you rent out as a hotel room, i.e. Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, tech, you know, now one of the key thing about this, about this disintegration of business models uh, is that technology is what makes this possible. And the movie the movie business always was a technological business and always produced an intangible product. I mean, yes, a film reel, but you know, what really the value in what was produced was not the value of this of the celluloid reel that was sent out to a movie theater to display. It was the intangible that you that you watched on screen. And computer technology and the internet and all the things that we're all very familiar with today have turned aspects of all sorts of other businesses into intangibles. The business of staying at a hotel or the business of taking a taxi cab or what the platform companies realize is that part of those businesses are intangible. Part of it is the tangible, a physical vehicle that takes you from point A to point B, a physical room that you stay in overnight. Part of it's intangible, which is the connection between Mm -hmm. purchaser. Mm -hmm. And we now live in an economy where increasingly, um, as Shakespeare probably once said, all the world's an app. Uh, <laughs> if he, I, think he, I think he said that, didn't he? Did he say that? I don't know. Did he, he invent must, the internet too? <laughs> he might. Well, he must have. Yeah. He, cer- he certainly would have said that if he, if he didn't and should have said that if he didn't. And, you know, aspects of, I mean, whether it's dating, there's an app for that, whether it's, you know, there's an there's app an, for everything. There's everything. An everything. There's an app for everything, and it's not just you know, and 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 that's a deeper truth than just the irony of it and the the humor of it and the convenience of it, because when there is an app for something, it means that certain aspects of the something can be disintermediated. I mean, the you know, the gay bars that I you know went to. In my 20s, some of them, you know, those were physical places that had a business model of selling alcohol. But what they were really selling was, you know, was hookups and meetups and and to some extent romance. So they were selling sex and romance. Uh, some of that business has been disintermediated. It's on Grinder now. It's on Tinder. You know, that there, there literally is an app for that. <laughs> sex, there's an app for that. So let's, let's uh, <laughs> summarize for people here. Um, because it is very confusing. And I think the bottom line is the burden of proof lies with the employers. You have to pass the ABC test at least, right? Well, you do if the, if the worker is not part of one of the exemption lists. Right. Ay, ay, ay. So one thing I do want to, I want to bring you back in maybe in another month or two to sort of regroup on this. I'm waiting to see what happens because there is some ambiguity in terms of board directors and advisory board members. Even the SEC has uh, fuzzy calculations about whether or not you're an employee or an, em- you know, an employee if you're a board member. I mean, one form makes you not an employee and the other form, the S8, makes you an employee. And that's going to affect the, AB5. Right. And the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. So we're going to just monitor this with you. And uh, we're going to watch some of these lawsuits that have already been filed by, for example, the trucking industry, 
the um, the journalists, the I think the National Press Photographers Association filed one, and there's some music entities because they use gig musicians all the time. So some of those right. uh, entities are filing suit now too. So we're gonna we're gonna be monitoring all of that, and we'll report back to everybody. And I hope I can bring you back in when this all solidifies and has time to cook. And we figure out exactly what we have. Does that sound good to you? I'd, I'd be pleased to come back. I'm uh, I'm not entirely optimistic on uh, on whether this is going to solidify, but I think that this is for the because of the litigation and the and also the uh, ballot initiative mm. that Lyft and Uber community are working on. This mm-hmm. is going to be in a state of flux for uh, for quite some time, and I think we're going to see courts having to, you know, I mean, already in the trucking industry, there is a preliminary injunction, I believe, uh, barring the enforcement uh, of the ABC test for the time being, hmm. and we're going to see more court action, I think, and hmm. as, as you alluded to. So well, I'd be pleased to come back and uh, thank you. try to make sense of it. Thank you. I really appreciate your time because this is very important to all of us here, and it's going to affect almost everyone who either employs workers or who hires contractors. So Jonathan Handel, thank you so much. It's been always a pleasure talking with you and uh, everybody listening. You know what I always tell you, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. This is Serena Catania signing off for OWC radio and a very special thanks to Otherworld computing for sponsoring our show and allowing us to present information like this to people who really need it. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks Serena.